वसुदेवसुत देव कंसचाणुरमर्दनम देवकी परमानंदम कृष्ण वंदे जगद्गुरु Is the sound all right? Do I need to increase it? Jayant, that's good. No, I said I can hear properly. Uh, you can't hear, Sandhya ji. I can. Okay. Yeah, it's good. Thank you. Um, so, Jayant is our co-host this evening, and he will keep an eye out for people coming in. let them in watch out for your questions in the chat or raised hands and we shall continue bhagavad gita we have started chapter 4 and in this at the beginning sri krishna was praising this knowledge talking about the knowledge which he has given to arjuna in chapter 2 and 3 basically the knowledge of the self that you are the self existence consciousness bliss you have to realize this that is the purpose of life and that takes you beyond all sorrow um also the knowledge of karma yoga how to convert our daily activity into um spiritual uh, into spiritual practice these are the two fundamental questions of spiritual life how do we become enlightened question 1 you might say that's the real question what else is there there is something else how do we live here now how do we live our lives and how do we become enlightened how do we live our lives here and that's uh, these are the two questions which m the author of the gospel of sri ramakrishna he asks sri ramakrishna in the second meeting with sri ramakrishna that how does one get love of god how does one feel devotion to god and also the second uh, question is how is one to live in the world so exactly those two the answers to those two questions one is the answer is enlightenment realize who you are second is karma yoga convert your activities into spiritual practice uh, manifest that realization uh, in your day to day life as he was doing so in the at the beginning of the fourth chapter he happened to mention that this is an ancient teaching uh, it's not being given to you for the first time this ancient teaching which is the vedas was revealed by me to the sun god um, uh, vivaswan who transmitted it down to manu who transmitted it down to ikshvaku and so on so there was an ancient lineage of teachers and students over time this uh, this teaching it became weakened it fell into the hands of people who were not spiritually disciplined who did not have the right qualifications who were distracted by the world and religion spirituality degenerated and so i am again giving you this knowledge today so what i gave um, in ancient times i am giving to you now arjuna immediately asks the arjuna asks the question which will immediately come to all of us just a minute knowledge is ancient fine and there are were teachers earlier and students earlier and this knowledge has been given by different teachers to different students but how is it that there's a one teacher alone you are saying you gave it at the at the beginning of creation to the sun god and which was passed down um, and now you are you are the same teacher who is give, giving the teaching to me how is that possible 
because you are about my you are contemporary to me you are about my age you're just a little bit older than me how is it possible that you have given so who are you who are you who can make such a claim i was just thinking even the most the oldest of teachers can't say something like that uh, i one of my teachers who passed away last year he was 105 years old so many of our senior swamis elderly swamis uh, swami chetanananda ji who is one of the senior most swamis in the united states now swami sarvadevanand ji they all studied under him he was their teacher too and he was my teacher it's like somebody who's been your grandfather's teacher your father's teacher and your your teacher too but even that very old vedanta teacher his name was damodar ashram or medha chaitanya even that very old vedanta teacher if even if he's 105 years old he couldn't have taught uh, at the beginning of the creation of the universe and so the even the oldest of teachers can't do that and krishna you look pretty young you are about my age how is it that you have taught this uh, this teaching in ancient times so this is the perfect occasion for sri krishna to reveal his identity as an avatar as an incarnation so this there are some very famous verses coming along now in fact there are sometimes the people know only these verses from the gita which are coming yada yada dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata that one or two verses there maybe sometimes people know only these two verses so that's going to come now where krishna declares he is an incarnation of god <clears throat> notice he has not done that earlier it's only when he is asked then he tells uh, he uh, reveals his true nature even the teaching itself in the second chapter notice that only when he was asked by arjuna arjuna had been saying so many things in the first chapter the whole of the first chapter krishna keeps quiet it's only in the second chapter when arjuna declares arjuna declares his helplessness i am confused i don't know what's right and wrong you must teach me then only krishna starts teaching um so arjuna's question was verse number 4 arjuna vacha aparam bhavato janma param janma vivasvata katham etad vijaniyam tvamadau proktavaniti so your birth was recent and vivasvata the sun god we need not bother about whether there is a sun god or not I mean, that's part of the uh, whole theological framework of hinduism but basically this, the point is this te- this teaching is ancient and the teaching comes from none other than god these are the only two points the sun god were, is very ancient and how should we understand this your claim you are the one who has taught this tvam adav proktavan you are the one who has given this teaching in ancient times what was t- so it's also another point has to be noted what was given in ancient times as the vedas as the upanishads is now being given as the gita to arjuna so it's the same knowledge what is there in the upanishads is also here in the gita i remember i used to teach little kids in a school in india deoghar vidyapeet so um the, the boys who were um, almost all of them were hindus they asked um one of the one boy asked that um, christians study the bible and the muslims study the quran um so if the vedas are our uh, our central texts foundational scriptural texts um but we don't study the vedas 
So I said then the final best teachings of the Vedas are in the Upanishads and they were like, we don't study the Upanishads either. Yes, but you all study the Gita. So although I, knew, I knew the boys used to chant the Gita, Gita daily. So you study the Gita, so you know the central teachings of the Upanishads of the Vedas. So that was Arjuna's question. How is it possible? Which, which means, who are you? And Sri Krishna here reveals his nature as the avatar. I would like to tell you in brief what's going to happen now. And then we'll look at the verses. What, what is coming up next? So this whole question of avatars, an incarnation of God. There have been spiritual teachers throughout human history in every civilization, including especially in India. But there's always been a category of a special kind of person. So in Hinduism, avatar is well known. There are many, many avatars. Uh, famously, every Hindu knows about the 10 avatars of Vishnu. But uh, it is a saying, asankheyam avatara. There are innumerable avatars in ancient times and now and in, in the times to come. So there's no limit to the number of avatars possible, incarnations of God. In Christianity, uh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ is accepted. So Jesus as the Son of God is actually the incarnation of God. When he says, I and my Father are one, he means that he is one with God. And so it is God alone who has come in the form of Jesus Christ. So the incarnation uh, avatara theory is accepted in Christianity. Um, in Buddhism, the Buddha is a special person. There is no avatar in the sense that because there is no God. So who is going to be incarnated? But the Buddha is there. In Islam, the incarnation theory is not accepted. But Prophet Muhammad is, is seen as unique. is not like everybody else. And in Judaism, the prophets of Judaism are seen as uh, somewhat different from other human beings. It is not like everybody else. So whether a religion... Sikhism does not accept avatars as such, but it accepts the speciality of the, of the ten gurus, the gurus of Sikhism. So, and Jainism, there is no god for incarnation, but the Tithankaras, the 24 Tithankaras are regarded as special beings. So we see across all religions, whether they even believe in God or not, there is a belief in a unique person, a unique person of special powers. Um, Maybe the person is a human being, but not like everybody else. So at the source of every religion, uh, there are these special persons. This idea itself got developed into the incarnation theory in the theistic religions like uh, Hinduism and Christianity. Um, now, Krishna will say that he is an incarnation of God. What is an incarnation and how is it different from other human beings? Why only human beings? Because uh, Krishna or Rama... Are, they look like human beings or Ramakrishna or Christ. How are they different from the rest of us? Remember in Hinduism there have been non-human avatars also. Um, so the first avatar it's, it's almost like, not almost like, it is, it does show uh, you know, like the evolution of life uh, from a fish to a, um, a tortoise to uh, the um, Nrsingha, half man and the boar, the boar first, Varaha. And then Nrsingha, the half man, half lion, uh, to the Vamana, the dwarf avatar, to, to the human forms of God. So all of these forms are divine forms and they are regarded as incarnations of God. But we are especially interested in the human forms of incarnation. 
what are they and how are they different from the rest of us? One is the birth of the avatar is different from the birth, the janma of us. We are jivas, sentient beings. Our birth and the avatars, they don't say the birth of the avatar, we, we say their appearance. They appear and they disappear. So Ramakrishna says that the moon is reflected in the water and the little fishes at night, they play with the moon. They think it's another kind of fish. They are happy to play with it. And when the morning comes, the moon disappears. Never was the moon in water. It just looked like that. And it played with the fish as long as then. And they delighted the fish. But when it disappeared, it's gone forever. And leaving behind this memory of this extraordinary fish who came among us. But they did not really come among us. It's a Lord, Lord himself. And Sri Ramakrishna was talking about the avatar incarnation. Who comes and human beings think that he's like a human being. You talk with him, play with him, learn from him. Um, and then suddenly disappears. So the appearance and disappearance of the avatar are not like the birth and death of ordinary human beings like us. How so? So, um, ordinary human beings, we are born under our karma, under the force of our karma. One second. The idea is, why or where do we come from? We are born and reborn again because of our karma. Where does our karma come from? It comes from our desire. Where does our desire come from? It comes from our ignorance of our real nature. We do not know that we are this infinite being, existence, consciousness, bliss. Not knowing this, we have a sense of lack of fulfillment. Uh, apurna. We are not full. We want things. The moment we are identified with the mind, all the desires in the mind are my desires. I want, I want my life to go this way. I do not want my life to go that way. Uh, uh, I have so many uh, experiences I want to have. And all of these desires in the mind, they become my desires. Further, when I get identified with the body, the hunger of the body is my hunger. The disease of the body is my disease. So all of the problems of the world, they make us acutely conscious of our incompleteness of our very unsatisfactory nature of our existence. So, because of that, we have desire, karma. And because we have desire, when we act with desire, it leads to consequences, results. Good action, ethical action, we say punyam or merit. Punyam is merit. And that the result of that is sukham, a pleasant life. Things will go well for you. Um, evil action, Immoral action, we call it papam, demerit, papa, or sin or demerit. And the result of that is unhappiness, unpleasantness in our life. And generally we see a mixture of all of these. So basically, our birth is from ignorance. Ignorance of our real nature. God has no ignorance at all. God has no ignorance at all. God is in fact all-knowing. God is always, Ishwar or Bhagavan is always aware of his, you can say his slash her or its, the gender is not important, um, divine nature. That, that the Lord is none other than Nirguna Brahman, that's the real nature of the Lord. The Lord is always aware of it. Not only that, the Lord is aware of everything else also. Uh, that uh, the Lord is omniscient, knows everything about the universe and everything about us. 
and the Lord acts out of freedom. In Sanskrit is a term Swatantriya or a freedom. We do not act out of freedom. We act out of ignorance. And the results of the actions lead to our birth and our death. So, this is a one big difference. When the Lord appears as an incarnation, it is from knowledge and freedom. When we come to this body, we are born. We don't appear. We don't say, I have now incarnated. No, we are born. Helplessly so. And as a result of, of our ignorance, producing desire, producing karma. So, that's one big difference. Where do we come from? And where does the incarnation come from? Entirely different places. Entirely different backgrounds. Not only that, another big difference is um, the nature of the jiva and the nature of the avatara. The jiva is always in bondage. We go from life to lifetime in bondage until we get liberation. Until that time, we are bound, we are samsari, we are travelers in samsara. And we are bound to remain in samsara, in bondage. And we, that's because of the ignorance. So we are, we are trapped in samsara. The incarnation is not trapped in samsara. The incarnation comes here uh, out of compassion. Not because the incarnation is trapped in samsara. The incarnation comes... Um, so, the difference is this. When Swami Vivekananda said that uh, nature has two kinds of creations. There is a general creation of living beings and the universe, material universe. So Prakriti or nature creates two kinds of things. One is this entire universe and including our bodies, our minds also. They are all given by nature to us. So sentient beings, the body mind of sentient beings and the external universe, they are all created by nature. That is one kind of creation. And then Swami Vivekananda mentions nature is a special creation, once in a while, special product, uh, the incarnation of God. And uh, Swami Vivekananda says like uh, Krishna or Jesus, you know, so they are special products. And we can say we are machine made, generic product, factory product. And the incarnation comes as a sort of handmade product, very, very, very special um, not at all in the, the assembly line from which we are rolled off. <laughs> so, uh, that, that's what will come now. Krishna will say that. Uh, the difference between you and me. You and me means between I, um, yeah, custom made. <laughs> Rick is saying it's, it's custom made. Uh, made to order. So, Krishna will say, we'll see later that Krishna says that you and I are not the same. We are different. Um, I come from a special power of Maya, which, which is only time it is used is when the Lord wants to incarnate. He uses Maya to come. We are, we are the general products of Maya all throughout time. Practically, what does it mean? So, Maya produces or Prakriti produces the five elements, the, the ancient cosmology. Um, the space and air and fire and water and earth. And by a mixture of these five elements, our minds and bodies are, are formed. The, the five elements have a subtle form which produces our minds, subtle body, and a gross form, physical form, which produces our physical body. That's the general creation. And the entire universe is also made of these five elements. But um, all this is avatara theory, right? This is, we are moving away a little bit from Advaita Vedanta here. Advaita Vedanta is, is not very good at avatara theory. That's why Sri Ramakrishna has said that uh, when he told Narendranath, 
he who was Rama, he who was Krishna is in this body Ramakrishna, but not in your Vedantic sense, which he meant Advaitic sense. Um, the theory of avatar says that Maya directly produces the body of the avatar. It's a very interesting concept, a strange concept that it's not actually, even the physical body of an avatar is not like our body. Uh, it's not a product of uh, ordinary matter like our body. Uh, the theory of avatar says it's a maika body. Maika body means a direct product of Maya. Not Maya having become material elements and out of that bo the body is produced. So that's why it accounts for the miraculous birth of, of incarnations. The immaculate conception in the case of Jesus in the same, same story we hear about Ramachandra, uh, Sri Krishna, about Ramakrishna. Uh, not uh, a, a typical material natural event like the, the birth of our bodies. Not like that. So that's another big difference. Um, in fact, there is even a belief in certain Vaishnava circles that one should not destroy the body of an avatar. After the avatar has passed away, the body remains. So, uh, Ramanuja Acharya's body is still preserved after nearly 1100 years. I have not been to see it, but it's, uh, it's just, I don't think you can make out any features, but it's a special mixture of chemicals. So, something like a like a mummy, I think there's some effort has been made to preserve it. So I remember reading after the the cremation of Sri Ramakrishna. Sri Ra after Sri Ramakrishna passed away, his body was cremated. Swami Vivekananda wrote uh, sometime later a, la a letter to his uh, brother disciples saying that we have committed a great sin in in destroying the body of Sri Ramakrishna. Of course, the ashes are still there in the uh, main temple at, at Belurmat. So it, there's, a, there's a certain belief that the body of an incarnation should not be destroyed. It's, it's a very valuable thing. It should be kept. Um, there's a question. Is, is that why Sri Ramakrishna could not bear? Yes, so many things are, are very interesting about Sri Ramakrishna. This is the first time that an incarnation has been studied and observed in such close detail and records have been maintained. So extraordinary things which have destroyed would have destroyed the body of an ordinary person, the kind of spiritual practices he underwent. Um, there are many extraordinary events about, about the, the body of Sri Ramakrishna. One more difference between an incarnation and us, the purpose. Why are we here and why is the incarnation here? Why are we here? We basically say we don't know. But anyway, Vedanta says, or all the theories in, in Indian philosophy, Vedanta and Sankhya, Buddhism and Jainism, they all say karma. We are here as a result of our past karma. And in order to do what? In order to experience the results of that past karma with the ultimate goal of one day, one life attaining liberation, moksha. So why are we here? The direct answer is, our past karma, which has accumulated over many lifetimes, this accumulated karma is called sanchita karma, accumulated karma. In each lifetime, a part of it becomes, so to say, ripened and it gives out results. So the part which becomes ripened, activated, is called prarabdha, which has started giving results. So what result does it give? It gives us a body, it gives us parents, it gives us experiences in this life, a mixture of pleasant and unpleasant experiences. And once that prarabdha is over, this body will die. And the subtle body 
with the reflected consciousness in it, the jivatma, it will move on to other lives. Again, propelled by karma. We are propelled by karma uh, and nothing else. Swami Vivekananda, I often quote that, good, good, bad, bad and none escape the law. But whosoever wears a form, wears the chain too. What is the chain we are wearing? Our karma. We are bound by our past karma. And so all the experiences, the major experiences we have in our lives are because of our past karma. No one to blame. It is something that I have cooked for myself over many lifetimes. Is it predetermined? No, no, no. Only the major events. So the body that I have, the life, the, the age, uh, how long I will live in this body, my parents, my general uh, environment. It could be a good environment. You could be, uh, somebody was joking that it's a sign of great good karma to be born as a dog in Manhattan. You know, you are really taken care of and pampered. Uh, <laughs> so great good karma in, in um, um, to wealthy parents and uh, you get a good education, you have a healthy body, things go well in life. Whatever you, you are good at studies and when you, when you start working, whatever you touch turns into gold. You, everything goes very well. And that's an enormous amount of good karma which is being uh, used up. So remember, when things go well, you are using up a lot of credit with God. <laughs> you are maxing out your credit cards, the divine credit cards. And illness, abuse, failure, struggling, working hard, no use, nothing is working out at all. Uh, bad karma. And uh, all of this mixture is what we experience in our lives. All of it is cooked up by our past. It's just the result, the, the consequences of past actions. But in the midst of this, how we react and what we do, that generates fresh karma. We have that freedom. We have some degree of freedom here. With the same uh, playing field, some play a better game, some play a worse game. So the playing field is set by our karma. But how we play, to some extent, we have some freedom. Um, and devotion to God, and grace of Guru, that increases the freedom, gives us uh, um, a lot of, what do the bankers call it, line of credit. Uh, you, you can, you can uh, use more than you deserve. So that comes by the grace of God sometimes. Um, avatara has none of these. Avatara does not come for this, nor does Avatara have a bundle of karma in the past. Uh, the avatar is completely free. So avatar comes for establishing spirituality. Remember the whole game of life. Why is it all going on? Always the goal is God realization. We have come here for exhausting our past karma, no doubt. But what? why this karma at all? Why are we exhausting past karma? What's the point of it ultimately? As Swami Vivekananda says, um, the goal of life is to manifest the divinity already within us. To realize that you are oneness with God. In whichever framework you understand it, to attain nirvana, salvation, whatever you call it, that is the ultimate goal. It's a spiritual goal. Life is spirituality. Um, we don't, as long as we don't understand it, we suffer. More we understand it, the less we suffer actually. So the avatara comes for establishing spirituality. It's very natural then, as Krishna says, when spirituality goes down, deteriorates, God himself, herself, itself, has to reincarnate, has to come again to re-establish religion. Re-establish religion means to show that religion is real, spirituality is real, that you can attain transcendence of sorrow, ultimate deep peace, 
and joy. You can attain it. It's possible. And it's the, you must attain it. It is possible and it must be done. And the avatar shows that it's real. It's not just some books, some old stories. And the avatar also sets out new paths of spiritual practice. A new view of religion comes with each avatar. Then another thing that the avatar does is uh, help the spiritual. Krishna will say all this. I'm just telling you what's going to come. Uh, avatar will help the spiritual. You notice whether it's Buddha or Jesus or Krishna or Ramakrishna. The first priority was a small group of highly spiritual people. Those who are, who, who are God seekers. Who, who have been praying and um, meditating maybe lifetime to lifetime trying to realize God. The first priority of the incarnation is to set them free because they are ready. They are ready. It just requires a little bit of grace to set them free. So the incarnation comes for them, number one. Number two, Krishna will say to destroy the wicked. Now destroy may not mean actually with arrows and missiles as in the past maybe, but it's just to reform the wicked so that the wicked become good. Um, so to uh, establish religion and for the elevation, for, for the liberation of the good and for the reformation of the uh, wicked. So that's the purpose of an incarnation. Again, all this is highly developed in Vaishnava Vedanta, in the dualistic, um, theistic schools of Vedanta. Advaita Vedanta is like, if you ask their shrug, um, all right, if you, if you prefer to think in those ways, the whole point is to realize you are Brahman and that's it. All right, so this is the basic difference between Avatar and um, um, the Jiva. Before we go into the verses, are there questions I can take a look at? Um, circumstances of Sri Ramakrishna's birth. I, re I strongly recommend Christopher Isherwood's book, Ramakrishna and His Disciples. So if you read it, it's really wonderful. Uh, it, it tells you the circumstances of Sri Ramakrishna's birth, his life. Very beautiful book. I think many people have been introduced, introduced to Sri Ramakrishna through that book. Christopher Isherwood's Ramakrishna and His Disciples. Um, Pranav says, Christianity has a more formal way to confer sainthood. Hinduism, how do we know if someone is an avatar when they are still alive? No way of knowing. We really have. Who is liberated? We really don't know. Who is among the liberated, who greatly spiritual people? Who is an avatar? One thing you should know is avatars are very rare. Very, very rare. Enlightened people are more, enlightened saints are little more common. Not common at all, but little more so. So don't go hunting for avatars. There are people have a, um, sometimes they go hunting for enlightened masters. Why have you not started your spiritual practice? Yes, I'm looking for a teacher. There's so many teachers. No, no, none are, none are apparently good enough for me. Oh, my teacher must be an enlightened person. I'm looking for who is enlightened. How will you know? And avatar especially, how will you know? The, the only way to know an avatar is by the grace of the avatar. If the avatar reveals himself or herself to you. Otherwise, no. People thought in Sri Ramakrishna's time, people thought he is a madman. People in the Kali temple, we worship him as avatar everywhere now. That's why Swami Vivekananda says it does not matter. They are, if you accept him as avatar, well and good for you. If you are those who accept him, some may accept him as a great saint, some may accept him as a great spiritual seeker, whatever it is, in whichever way you profit from his life and teachings, that's the most important thing. Swami Vivekananda said that. It's not compulsory for you to accept that Sri Ramakrishna is an avatar. 
Yeah, Christianity has a more formal way to con confer sainthood. Remember, you can become a saint in Christianity. You can't become an incarnation of God. There's this famous Jewish joke, you know. Um, a rabbi asked uh, a, a priest, so in your church, the Catholic church, how high can you go? The priest said, well, if you're really a good priest, you might become a, a, a bishop. And higher than that, you can become an archbishop. And higher than that, well, that's really difficult, but some people do become cardinals. You know, they can go to Rome and Vatican and be a cardinal. That's higher than. And higher than that, well, there's only one um, thing that you can be the Pope. And that's it. And that's very rare. And higher than that, well, what's higher than that? There's nothing higher than that. Higher than that is only Jesus and you can't become that. You know, only God is there. And uh, the rabbi said, well, one of our lads became that, you know. So Jesus being Jewish. <laughs> one of our lads became that, the, the highest. Is there a name for the karma we create in this life? Agamin. Um, Kriyamana or Prarabdha Karma but uh, Agami is the one which is added and it's going to be added to you and will become active in some future life. Um, so isn't a saint different? Yeah, saint is different from an avatar. Saint is an avatar, not the same. A saint is like a very holy person and some of them might be a liberated or enlightened persons. Shankaracharyas is considered an avatar of Shiva. Uh, Ramanuja Acharya is considered an avatar of Lakshman actually. Name and author of the book, Christopher Isherwood. Somebody can write it here. Yeah, somebody has already given it here. Rick has given this. So, there's a question about the ever free. Some are ever free. Ever free in the sense, at one point they became free and they still retain their individual identity. So, Nitya Siddha, or Nitya Mukta. So, in, instead of giving up their individual identity and becoming one with Brahman, with the, with the uh, universal existence, consciousness, bliss, they still retain a trace of their identity, but they are not bound. So, they may come with, they often come with God, when God incarnates, Sri Ramakrishna is to say, God brings some friends, pals along with, uh, with, with him. And they, they become different things, uh, in different people in the play which God is going to enact. So God's life, what the events of God's life are called uh, Leela, of Avatara. The incarnation's life are called Leela, divine play. And that applies only to the incarnation of God. You can't say my life story is a Leela. No, <laughs> that's not a Leela. That's just our life. Before I go into the verses, there's a beautiful story about karma which I would like to share. So I said, um, our, what happens in our life is the big events are often determined a lot by past karma. So I was in the Himalayas. It's a very touching and beautiful story. So I'll tell you. It's a little long. Um, somebody's smiling. That's the best kind of story. <laughs> um, I was in the Himalayas at that time. And um, one day we had this little... Sometimes the monks would get together, you know, like, it's like eating out. Eating out means you get together in one of the ashrams and you make some snacks and you sit together and eat. Like in India, they're called pakora and all. And you sit on the ground, like literally on the dirt there. Uh, and then you, you don't eat from the dirt. You have got a leaf plates and all. 
and then one of the monks was telling me, you know Swami where you are sitting? This is where the famous yogi Baba Ramdev used to sit and eat pakoras and then go back to his cave and practice Hatha Yoga. So we are just um, talking about, uh, you know in India he is a very famous yoga guru, Baba Ramdev. So he's, it's, it's a huge, like an industry, a yoga industry has grown up around him, yoga and Ayurveda industry. Now an interesting comment was made by one of the monks. You know the, uh, the yogi sitting in front of you, Swami? So there was this old man in a white dress, not a, the cloth of a Swami, just a white dress, a little beard, white hair and beard, sitting there, eating his pakora. He, his name is Indra Yogi. And he said, uh, the Swami's told me that he, his yoga is much better than Baba Ramdev's yoga because they used to practice here together. And whenever the Swamis had any problem, health problem, they would go to Indra Yogi for a solution, some kind of practice. Uh, of course, Ramdev was, um, also was a good practitioner, but this person was better. And then, this person also tried to uh, spread yoga, start a yoga school. He went down from the Himalayas, started yoga camps, and Ramdev was also starting yoga camps. And whatever Baba Ramdev did, succeeded enormously. Uh, Every camp was a success, every program, he was soon on TV and whatnot, on magazines and uh, brands were created in his name. So now it's a huge, huge phenomenon. And whatever Indra Yogi did was a failure. Nobody turned up and nothing worked. And finally he came back to his cave in the mountains. And Indra Yogi was sitting there listening to all of this and he was, he was chuckling to himself and you know, like stroking his beard and sort of shaking his head. So I asked this monk, we went for a walk after the pakoras in the mountains over the Ganga there. This was in Gangotri. Why does this happen? We often see it. We all know of people who are experts in their field. You know, your, maybe your classmates or somebody who was the genius, but never made a, a name for himself or herself. And there was this, other people who are not so good, but they become millionaires and big success in it. So we all know such people. And why does it not work for someone? Why does it work so well for some others? Most of us are in the middle actually. So he told us the story. It's a very nice story which I'll share with you. So the story is starting now. <laughs> so he said, Janaka Raja, the great emperor Janaka, father of Sita and all. So one day, uh, somebody asked him, how is it that one man, you, have got everything? You are an emperor. You're, you are an enlightened person. So Janakaraja is always known in, the, in our stories as a Brahmagyani, one who has attained knowledge of Brahman, is an enlightened person. You are an enlightened person. And the mother of the universe is your daughter, Sita. And God is your son-in-law, Rama. How does one person attain all of this? You are an emperor and you are an enlightened, you have realized Brahman and you are Jivan Mukta, free in, in this very life itself. Um, you are, the mother of the universe is your daughter and God is your son, his son-in-law, Rama and Sita. How? And so Janaka thought, it's true, how, do I, how did all this happen to me? I don't see myself as special. So at night he had this dream. Um, next, if you want an answer to your question, Janaka, start walking. Tomorrow, uh, start walking to the west and where the sun sets, there you will find a man, a yogi, who is sitting there and uh, eating leaves. Ask him. 
he will t he knows the answer to your question he will tell you so janaka starts walking and walking and walking and uh, finally at the end of the day he's tired he sees under and uh, a you know there's a big tree under that there a pile of dry leaves and there's a yogi sitting there in matted hair eating dry leaves and janaka says that's my man and he goes there and before he can say something the yogi looks at him and he says i know the answer to your question emperor janaka so he knows who he is and what the question is but i won't tell you you rest here tonight tomorrow in the morning if you want to know the answer to your question start walking to the west and you keep walking and walking and walking till you find um you know where the sun is setting that will be the way it said where the sun is setting you will find a yogi who's eating ashes he knows the answer you ask him next morning the emperor starts walking and walking and walking. by the way we were walking while this story was being told i got the feeling that the story was being prolonged for my benefit till the, you know he would this person i would take walks with he would make stories last till sunset strangely enough as sunset uh, the stories would come to abrupt ends you know <laughs> because it's got too dark anyway um so he finds this yogi sitting and eating ashes and before he can say something exactly like that and like the earlier incident the yogi says i know your question emperor janaka but i will not answer it tomorrow in the morning if you really want to know the answer to your question i'm not extending the story this is exactly it was as it was told to me i'm speeding it up a little bit uh you have to keep walking to the west you will finally come to a village where you will find in the village headman's house a baby has been born and the baby is going to die the same day that um so uh, this baby go and ask this baby the baby knows the answer to your question the baby will tell you the newborn baby so janaka starts walking and walking and walking he comes to this village and he goes to the headman's house the headman's delighted to have a visit from the emperor and says is it true that you have a newborn child yes we have been blessed with a newborn child uh can i uh, see the newborn child in 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 private and he said yes please bless the child and she so goes to the newborn child and everybody leaves the room and luckily the child doesn't tell him to take a walk again so <laughs> this child says and child can speak presumably in sanskrit i suppose uh says to the emperor i know your question and i shall tell you the answer many centuries ago in this um village here lived a poor widow and she had um three ch- she had four children and uh, she was finding it difficult to make ends meet she would beg for food and bring back and so there came a time when they had starved for three days they hadn't have any food and the children were very hungry and the poor mother finally got four chapatis four uh, pieces of bread and she didn't want anything for herself she just gave the four pieces of bread to her four four little sons at that time comes a guest so this is a typical indian story a guest comes and and if a guest comes you have to feed the guest and the mother said but i have nothing to feed you sir i had only four pieces of bread but i can't give them to you because i've already given them to the my children who are very hungry and it belongs to them now you have to ask them the guest said i am very hungry i need that bread so he goes to the eldest son who is just a little boy maybe 10 or 11 years old give me your piece of bread and the boy said what will i uh, what will i eat will i eat leaves 
dry leaves. I'm giving you the piece of bread. Will I eat uh, dry leaves? And uh, um, so uh, he asks the. So, uh, so he did not give the piece of bread, and the baby said, "You know that that first boy. Uh, he is born as this yogi whom you met. He spends his days eating uh, dry leaves." Anyway, the guest went to the second son who was even younger and asked for the piece of bread and the son refused, little boy refused, I am hungry, if I give that to you what will I eat, will I eat uh, ashes? And you know that boy, he was, uh, he's born as this yogi who lives eating ashes. And then he went to the youngest, the littlest kid, the, the, the third kid, who was uh, even younger and asked, can I have your piece of bread? And the little boy said, I'll die uh, if I um, give you this piece of bread. And uh, that little boy, O Emperor, I am. Uh, and I died and I am born. And every time I'm born and I die the same day. Um, all these years, I, be, I, I keep be getting born and dying the same day. Today also, I, I know I will die. Um, then he went to the last little kid the guest and said give me your piece of bread who was maybe just five years old even before he could ask the little boy held out that piece of bread and gave it to him the chapati and the guest was satisfied and the little boy the, the youngest son he perished of hunger that very night and uh, the baby said oh emperor that little boy you are he went straight away to heaven for centuries together and he was born in this life as an emperor who attains um, enlightenment, whose, uh, son, whose daughter is the mother of the universe, and God is the son-in-law of, that, uh, of, of this, that same little boy. So that's a very beautiful story. But it, the whole point is the power of, of karma, the whole point of the story. Um, luckily, by that time, the sunset was near and the story came to an end. So <laughs> I was... But it's, it's so, uh, the, you know, the whole point of the story is that karma is very powerful. Uh, so his explanation was, you're looking at Baba Ramdev today. So he must have done something uh, extraordinarily good in his past lives. So whatever he puts his hand to, uh, he's uh, extraordinarily successful. But that does not mean that the other person who's not successful and is working hard, it not, does not mean that it's lost. That also generates good karma, which is accumulated. So one should keep on trying. Another point, another monk made, it's important to note, to activate good karma, effort is necessary. I'll tell you, this is another monk, Ramananda Saraswati said, um, when you serve rice in India, you have huge pots of rice. So you need a huge ladle they are metal ladles. You have to break the rice and then bring it out and then serve it. it we put it in smaller buckets. And it, at that time as a novice in our monastery, that was one of my duties. It was hard work and it was very hot and humid there. So these huge giant uh, cauldrons of rice would come. And from that you have to um, bring out the rice and put it into smaller buckets, which are then taken for serving food to people who are eating. Now this monk gave up an example of karma. He says, if there is a lot of rice, if there is a lot of rice in your big cauldron, in, in the big pot, 
Even if you put the ladle in one, just a little bit, a lot of rice will come out. Just a little bit you try, a lot of rice will come out. If there isn't much left, then you have to put it in really deep into the that big pot, into the huge um, cauldron. And from the bottom you can get some rice. And if there is no rice left in your cauldron, in Hindi he said, I can't translate into English. He said, Uska sirf thun thun shabd hi hoga. He'll just get a clanging sound. No matter how much he puts his ladle, you know, inserts it into the huge cauldron, there's just darkness inside, there's nothing. It's just a clanging sound. But the point is, you must use the ladle to try to get something. Then only your karma is activated. And all, no effort goes to waste. If there's nothing happening now, it will happen in the future. Okay, so this is the background. Let me now go into the verses. This was strictly not necessary, not related to the verses, but it's a nice story I wanted to share. Now we'll understand the verses very well. Shri Bhagavan Vacha Bahuni me vyatitani janmani tavacharjuna tanyaham vedasarvani natvam vetha parantapa. The Blessed Lord said, I have had many, many births earlier, O Arjuna, and you have had many, many births earlier, O Arjuna. I know them all, not only mine, but yours too, and everybody's births. You do not. You don't remember your own births. So here, see, he's first of all making the difference between an avatar and ordinary uh, human being, an ordinary sentient being. Avatar is, uh, avatar's knowledge, God is omniscient and the omniscience does not go away. Avatara may just look like you and me. The incarnation of God just may look like a human being just like you and me. But that omniscience of God and the power and glory of God is still there. So Krishna says, I know it all. I have come many times earlier, as, not as a human being, as an avatar, as an incarnation. Many times have I been incarnated earlier. So we say that God comes as many incarnations, one after another. It's the same Lord, same God who has come as these incarnations in different times and places and different civilizations. You have come, O Arjuna, not as an incarnation, but as a human being, maybe as animal births also, something, many, many times. But you don't remember any of that. I remember all of that. Not only myself, all your uh, births also. Whatever has happened to us in the past, God knows. I don't mean in the sense, God knows what has happened. God really knows what has happened to us in the past. God knows what is happening to us now. And the Lord knows what will happen to us in, in this life and in future lives. Until our enlightenment. Everything is known to the Lord. Some yogis can find it out also. This is one monk who was serving Swami Brahmananda, Rakhal Maharaj. So he was massaging Swami Brahmananda. Swami Brahmananda said once, uh, when he was the president of the order, Swami Brahmananda, he said to this monk, massage my feet. And he was massaging his feet and he writes, at some point I felt I had lost track of time, as if I had dropped out of time, you know. And I noticed Swami Brahmananda was sitting up and listening closely and I was saying certain things. And the moment I became aware of this, Swami Brahmananda lay down and appeared to lose interest. So later he realized that uh, Swami Brahmananda, I was asking him, who are you and what are your past lives, what are you here for, uh, what, what, what are you going to do, what, what is the, you know, so finding out everything about you. So it's there locked up uh, in, in our experiences, in our, in our subtle body, in the chitta, 
we just don't have access to it. Patanjali Yoga Sutra says we can actually access the memories of past lives. But don't try to do it. It's not a good idea. I think it was Sister Nivedita or Sister Christine who asked Swami Vivekananda, can we know our past lives? And Swami Vivekananda scolded her, saying that, sufficient unto the day the evil thereof. You can't handle the problems of this life and you want past lives. What will past lives be like? Something like this life. Little better, little worse. What's the point of trying to find out um, all that? So Shankara's commentary says, You as a jiva, you have limited knowledge. I as the Lord, I have unlimited knowledge. Even becoming an avatara, it does not restrict my powers. And then he goes on to say, verse number 6, Ajo apisan abhyayatma bhutanam ishwaropisan prakritim swam adhishthaya sambhavamyatma mayaya I am unborn. Though I am unborn, I seem as if I am born. Though I am unchanging, I seem as if changing. You know, Krishna is a baby, the baby Krishna, as a young boy, as a teenager, as the youth who is, uh, or the middle-aged Krishna who is the charioteer of Arjuna and so on. Seem to be changing, but I am unchanging. Bhutanam Ishwaropisan. Though I am the Lord of all beings, I appear as in the, in the household of uh, Vasudeva and then live my life among cowherds. And now I am your driver, your chauffeur, <laughs> Arjuna's driver of the chariot, though I am the lord of the universe. So being the lord of the universe, the lord can, uh, can act in a very humble way. I remember this, you know, talking about the glory of, of being the lord of the universe. So this beautiful scene in a movie I had seen, um, I think it was... Um, Ten Commandments. It was a movie about Jesus. Mm. No, not it's a, it's about Ten Commandments actually. It's called a Hollywood movie called Ten Commandments. Very very popular. But Jesus is there in just one scene in the whole movie, um, as far as I remember. But it was unforgettable. I still remember it. So these Roman soldiers, you know, they are marching past, taking the slaves past, and they go through through Nazarene. And Jesus, of course, is there at that time unknown as yet. He is just a carpenter. And uh, so this poor man wants some water. That's the movie, the way they have shown the movie. Ben-Hur. Yes, somebody said Ben-Hur. Right. It is Ben-Hur, not, not Ten Commandments. It's Ben-Hur. Um, so uh, some of you, those who have seen it, you remember the scene. So Jesus gives, goes and gives water to this suffering man. And uh, one of the Roman soldiers angrily comes up to prevent him. Maybe to beat him, to stop him from giving water to that um, suffering, that this prisoner or slave or whoever it was. And all you see in the movie, you don't see the face of Jesus. All you see in the movie is just the back of Jesus' head. Jesus stands, stands around and looks uh, at the Roman guard, the soldier. And the entire thing is so well depicted in the expressions of that, that Roman soldier. First an arrogant, angry expression. Then a stunned expression. Stunned at what? Just looking into the face of this ordinary man. Stunned expression. Then a fear comes over him. And then he is humbled. And then the scene shifts to the Roman guards taking the prisoners away into the distance. And this guard who saw the face of Jesus, he kept, keeps looking back at that little village where, where uh, Jesus was. He doesn't know who he, who he saw for that one moment. But it's like looking into the face of God. So, 
Bhutanam Ishwaropisan. I am the Lord of all beings. There is a very beautiful hymn about Sri Ramakrishna. Shishu Samyam Agamyavaram. In one phrase. As simple, innocent like a child. First part of the phrase. Um, then the next part is Agamya Pranamyavaram. Whose majesty is unapproachable. You can only salute from a distance. The same, two things in the same person. Just like a child. As innocent and simple as a child. And yet when he wants, it, is, uh, it, is, it can be awesome and terrifying. You can't even approach him. The only thing you can do is salute from a distance. And that's just a tiny, tiny fraction of the magnificence of, of the avatar. We have seen it in other spiritual persons also. I have seen it in, uh, for example, Swami Bhuteshanandaji. I'm not now talking about avatars. I'm just talking about a, about a highly advanced spiritual seeker. How they could project a simplicity and sometimes an awesomeness without any effort. Um, I could see this 97-year-old man, old monk, sitting there. Hundreds of people sitting around. With a word, he could make us roll in laughter and you know, joke. And, and then with the next word, he could bring a deep silence into the room. Absolute quiet. And 50, 100 monks would be rendered speechless. We would just bow down quietly. I've seen in more than one occasion. And they're unforgettable occasions. With a certain power, this, this old man could radiate out from himself. And that's just... A human being who has become very spiritual. Imagine an incarnation of God. So that is Bhutanam Ishwaropisan. I am the Lord of all beings. But still, I appear as an ordinary human being. Then, Prakritim Swam Adishthaya Sambhavami Atma Mayaya. Controlling my own Prakriti, my Maya, I appear in the world of human beings, in your world. Um, Sambhavami, I appear. Not I am born, I appear. With, with uh, uh, using the power of my Prakriti. That special power, he says, Atma Mayaya, it, it is called Yoga Maya. Um, so, Advaita Vedanta does not make much of it. It just says it's Maya, by the power of Maya. But as Swami Vivekananda said, there are two kinds of creation of Maya. The entire universe and us. And the second kind is incarnations of God. So when Rama comes, Krishna comes, or Jesus comes, or, uh, or Ramakrishna, they are special manifestations uh, of the divine. This, this theory is much more developed in Vaishnava Vedanta, not in Advaita Vedanta. Because Avatara, incarnation of God, is very important in Vaishnava Vedanta. So there they say, it's not just the ordinary Maya which Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta talks about. The ordinary Maya is Sattva Rajasthamas. And from that the entire universe is produced. But um, they say that God, for, for the Vaishnava Vedantins, God is the ultimate reality and it's a personal God. So Krishna or Narayana or Vishnu. Satchidananda, existence, consciousness, bliss, each has its own power. Now we are, I am moving outside Advaita Vedanta. Each has its unique power. Sat, existence, has a power called Sandhini Shakti. The power to be, bring things into existence. Chit, consciousness, is Samvit Shakti. The power to know everything. And Ananda, bliss, 
has a power called Ladini Shakti, the power of divine bliss. So, this power of divine joy or bliss, this is what manifests as Sita, Radha, um, Mary, as, uh, as uh, Sharada, as the divine mother or the divine consort of, of avatars. So, this is called the Shakti of the avatars. Specifically in Vaishnava, Vaishnava Vedanta, they say it's the Ladini Shakti, the one which is the spiritual bliss of God. So that is Sita or Radha or, or, or Sarada. And what do they do when the incarnations come? They use another kind of power which is called Kripa Shakti or Anugraha Shakti, power of grace. This is very important in Christianity because the whole point of the incarnation of Jesus is grace. It's the grace of God come in the form of, of Jesus. What is the point of this grace? The thing is, as far as Vedanta is concerned, we are Brahman, we do not know it and the Upanishads tell us about it and tell us how we can realize it and that's the end. But we have this enormous load of karma, past karma, which does not enable us to progress in spiritual life. It's like being tied down, it's like being held down. We have very little freedom and power. We need help and this help is what God gives us, especially through an incarnation. An incarnation is full of grace. So if you take refuge in an incarnation, Sri Ramakrishna said this again and again. You can have a little boat by which you go out into the river or the sea. Or you can have a huge steamboat. In those, in those days, the British has, had introduced steamboats in the river Ganga. So Sri Ramakrishna had seen them. On a steamboat, hundreds of people can be carried. Others highly spiritual people, others like little canoes or little little boats which can barely take the one person. And if he gives the example of um, a little twig floating on the river, that's the ordinary spiritual teacher. That will cross the ocean and they can float across into the ocean. But even if a crow tries to sit on it, it will sink. So it has no power to take anybody else across. Most spiritual teachers who are ad advanced spiritual seekers, they can they take care of themselves and they can become enlightened and they do become saved but they have no power they can inspire and teach others but they really do not have indirect power to uplift others uh, incarnations and some highly uh, spiritual uh, some great spiritual giants they have an extra power the power of grace what does grace do it wipes out bad karma it activates our good karma so that Spiritual life becomes possible in this life itself. What was not possible for us, what would have taken us many lifetimes, is easy of achievement if one takes refuge in the avatara. This is all avatara theory. So incarnation is special in this sense. Um, the same realization we will get. Um, it works in two channels. I'll say this and end. It works in two channels. For the jnanis, for those who, want, who are walking on the path of knowledge, this grace manifests itself as a tremendous inquiry. In Sanskrit, Jigyasa, Brahma Jigyasa, an inquiry into the ultimate reality. Who am I? What is all this? This inquiry, this tremendous inquiry itself propels you through Vedanta. You, um, you will not rest until you have realized that you are Brahman. And for devotees, this grace it manifests as what Sri Ramakrishna used to call Vyakulata. A great restlessness to see God, to find God. 
by vyakulata by this great restlessness to find god which you see manifested in the life of sri ramakrishna to the maximum i must see ma kali the mother kali i must have the vision of that how restless he was and later on in life he would say one thing necessary to see god is vyakulata the restless divine discontent to see god i must have god what happens by this by the fire of this divine discontent the vasanas the worldly desires the impurities that which ties us to the world they are burnt off and one goes ahead to god realize one attains bhakti one attains true love of god that's one path the for the non dualists what happens the tremendous eagerness to realize jigyasa inquiry that destroys ignorance and brings about knowledge both are the result of um, the grace of god holy mother in banaras she was in banaras at one time at that time swami brahmanand and a group of monks had also gone to our hospital in banaras they were visiting that ashram one day holy mother sent word to swami brahmanand ask rakhal rakhal means swami brahmanand ask rakhal what is the need to worship the divine mother the point being here are the texts aparoksha anubhuti drigdrishya viveka upanishads and and you attend youtube classes and become enlightened that's it <laughs> i'm just oversimplifying but that's what there was her point what is the purpose of worshiping the divine mother if you want enlightenment and swami brahmananda sent back his answer in bengali he said brahmagyane chabikati mayar hate the keys to the realization of brahman are in the hands of the divine mother she who makes it possible there might be rare instances who goes directly but even that is the grace of of, of the divine mother um, totapuri had to realize this the guru of sri ramakrishna he was enlightened from childhood he had tremendous dispassion tremendous eagerness to realize god he got the company of monks as a young boy he became a monk he was blessed with with strong health pure mind tremendous concentration and within he, that still took him 30 years and he attained nirvikalpa samadhi he realized that he is brahman but he didn't have that compassion for others he did not realize all of this is due to the grace of the divine mother it's everybody is not blessed in this way so then sri ramakrishna taught him that lesson that even all this enlightenment whatever you have got and the life of an enlightened being that you are living on this earth all of that is by the grace of the divine mother all right um the next verse would be the purpose of the avatar a very famous verse number 7 and 8 we will do next time let me quickly see and three have raised their hand jayant yes Shikhar, yeah. Namaste, Swamiji. Namaste. So an avatar never really disappeared, right? Because sometimes when a devotee, like we have seen, when they pray to Krishna or Rama, they appear again to the devotee. So very, very good point. So the avatar disappears means the physical form of the avatar disappears after the avatar lila on earth, but the avatar retains that form. because people from from that time onwards people will worship him generation after generation worship the avatar in that form so that form is retained and god can appear in that form to the devotee so if a worshipper of krishna thousands of years after krishna maybe mirabai so she she sees god in the form of krishna 
you can see God in the form of Rama, you can see God in the form of Krishna. Jesus appeared to a number of Christian mystics. So if you worship God in a particular way, you can have the vision of, of God, especially through an avatar. That form is retained, you are correct. That form never disappears. Then next. Gabriel, you can... Hi Swami. Hello. I love your Gita class. Uh, and I have two questions. Yes. Do you think most or all saints were enlightened? That's the first question. And second question is when you talk about the Divine Mother. For me, I was raised a Catholic. So, of course, I think more of the Virgin Mary. Yes. So, would she fall under the category of Divine Mother? Um seems to have frozen a little bit it froze for a, it froze for a moment yes uh, okay so were all saints liberated enlightened eventually yes so what people we consider to be saints are definitely people who are spiritually very advanced whether they are liberated or not enlightened or not how would we know but we can know this much that they will surely they are either enlightened or they will be enlightened very shortly once you are at that level, uh, you are spiritually very advanced, enlightenment is a matter of course. And would the Ma Divine Mother Mary fall, uh, would the Mother Mary fall under the category of, of the Divine Mother? Yes, yes. The Vaishnavas would say that it's just like the Ladini Shakti, Radha and Sita uh, or uh, Masharada, Mother Mary. The whole purpose of worshipping Mother Mary, in, notice in, in the Catholic Church, it's as an intercessor who prays for us, who pleads for our case to God. So it is that power, it's basically the power of grace that comes through. She is full of grace. Yeah. So when you say it's the Divine Mother who has the keys to Brahmagyana, yes. so the Mother Mary... Mother before... Mary, yes, certainly Mother Mary, you can pray to Mother Mary. And uh, uh, she helps us yeah, into Brahmagyana, which we would not deserve or get by our own efforts. Next. Uh, Poonamji, you're next. Uh, Swamiji, for us jiva, uh, the chit, the memory is a part of the sukshma sharir, which uh, goes from birth to birth. So, we don't remember due to the limitations of our mind. Yes. So, the memory is retained, but we don't remember. It's because we are, our minds are occluded, covered, veiled by Ajnana. Our powers are very limited. Even we can remember. Patanjali Yoga Sutra says by certain practices, advanced yogis can uncover memories of past lives, which means the memories are still there. They are in the subtle body. Another thing, thing is said is that uh, in the last life, you will have a, like a flashback of all previous lives. Uh, the Bodhisattva, uh, in the Bhagavan Buddha, remembered so many past lives. Um, so that means the memories are there, but they are not accessible to us. We, the whole point is, as jivas, our powers, all kinds of powers, memory, intelligence, creativity, uh, imagination, all of these are greatly limi limited, contracted. Um, we hardly remember what happened last week. We hardly remember what happened one or two years ago. We have no memory of our babyhood, almost very few people have forget past lives. So the transition from one life to another would have been such a big trauma for us. It's all blocked. But still, you're right. It's all there, 
but inaccessible to us. But for Krishna, he knows not only his own, but he says, Bhutanam Ishwara, he is the Lord of all of us also. So all our memories also. <laughs> he has got the password to all, all, all the data banks. He can access everything, who we are, what we are, and what's going to happen to us. Yes. Rick, you're next. When people, um, like you were just saying, have visions of Jesus or Mother Mary or, or Krishna, or I know people who have had very clear encounters with Ramana, um, do you think that that means that um, somehow the divine is just fabricating a vision for them? Or do you think that these beings still exist on some level, like ascended masters, and they're kind of intervening in human affairs by appearing to these devotees? Um, the second, which you said, that these beings exist in some form, that is basically the theology of most theistic religions. Not, not even that, even, not only that, even the non-theistic religions like Mahayana Buddhism would say there are a multiplicity of Buddhas who actually exist and who help uh, beings through, um, uh, in, you know, through their spiritual quest from lifetime to lifetime and they are, they are accessible. Um, so that would be the answer. The second one would be the, uh, uh, would be the answer. But if you want to be very minimalistic about it, uh, very non-dualistic about it, Sri Ramakrishna says at one point, he saw how photographs were taken in those days. Somebody showed him. There's a glass and then you put, I think, silver nitrate or something over it and then it's exposed and a photograph is, uh, an image is captured there. And he said it's exactly like that. What happens in bhakti is, that like the silver nitrate, you smear your mind, you condition your mind in our words with a devotion in a particular way and a particular divine form and name. So when the light streams through it, it appears to you in that particular form. It's still the same light. It, it, is, it is the divinity, it is God and appearing to you in that form and that's alright. And he says, if it's just a glass, if goes on to say, if just a glass without the silver nitrate, without smearing it with anything, it's just, just clear light will stream through it. So that means, uh, I think the second one is the non-dual realization. The formless light, that, that one infinite being without, expense, expa without limit, you realize that, an expanse of being without limit. Uh, the, the earlier, the former, is the devotional path. So there you see there is no, no ontological commitment to the existence of multi multiple divine beings. Uh, it is more a conditioning of our minds than anything else. But remember, it is still, not only, not still, it is an experience, a genuine experience of the divine. If you see it through, whether it's the conditioning of your mind or whether it's a separate being coming to you from some other, other plane. Well, if it's a separate being, then that would sort of refute the notion that the liberated being is like a drop into the ocean and no longer retains any sort of individuality. Um, so there, again, the, the theologies would make distinctions between those who retain their individuality. They are called the eternally liberated. And they are, apparently there are hosts of them. There are many of them. And there are those who have forever given up their um, limited individuality. So you see the difference in Mahayana Buddhism and Theravada Buddhism. The Buddha is thus gone and the Buddha is not there. The teachings are left behind for us to become an Arhat and uh, be free. But in Mahayana Buddhism, we have a whole, there's a subject called Buddhology, <laughs> a whole range of Buddhas, of various uh, worlds who exist and who are really there, out there, who help us. Now, it depends upon your taste. 
some are minimalistic some want a more baroque gorgeous religion there must uh, be some reality to the situation regardless of our taste i mean our taste doesn't determine right. how, how the way the universe works or uh, it could be this way as sri ramakrishna would say in um, reality is infinite and you could take this path or that path the one path would be to take the help of um, these spiritual beings who are really there who are really there that's it the other path could be um, to go to the reality behind all of these the, the ultimate fundamental reality of the universe which is a non dual existence consciousness place and sort of uh, disregard these all of these as appearances yeah i think on that high metaphysical note we'll bring it to an end om shanti 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna rupanamastu um jain would you put a link to the you know the the paypal button i think there was a discussion about that some of you said many of you have responded generously sending uh, donations and things and some have actually written checks some tried to send money from india don't try to do that it's really d- difficult it's just the people who are uh, who can do it easily and for your benefit i think uh, our co-host will put the button on the chat you can just click it and so yeah, yeah. so you can you can just go to the chat maybe and take a look yes so do contribute whatever you can it's like a you know bill used to go around in uh, <laughs> uh with a basket and collecting five dollars and ten dollars here uh so this is like the virtual bills basket 